everyone, and welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by AsvetLife.com. Uh, I'm Kristen Guile, our Chief Content Officer, and today you're about to listen to another episode in our Earth Month series. And I got to interview Liam Donnelly. He is the CEO and co-founder of Waste Not Compost, which is a composting service here in Chicago that Liam actually started as a 15-year-old when he was working in a cafe uh, as a high school kid, taking out the trash. And as any high school kid would do, he was tired of taking out so many pounds of trash every day. So he decided to ask his manager if he could start taking home the coffee grounds where his family already composted in the backyard. And, you know, Liam grew up composting. He saw it as a normal part of his life in Lincoln Square growing up. And eventually he grew the composting of this cafe so much so that other cafes and restaurants and businesses in the neighborhood wanted in on it to the point where Liam was, you know, doing this while balancing his studies in high school, um, riding his bike around, uh, hooking up a trailer to the back of his bike to carry bins and bins of compost back to his parents' house, which we didn't get into, but I'm sure they were thrilled about all the extra compost material coming into their home and to their backyard. Um, But anyway, Liam's origin story of Waste Not Compost was super interesting, especially considering the fact that he's only 25 and he's been doing this for 10 years. He is a bona fide business owner. And with the help of one of his high school classmates, Lauren, he's been able to really market and grow the business into serving a lot of Chicagoland, um, whether it's businesses or individual homes or multi-unit buildings. Uh, They have really grown this business from like Liam just being a kid on a bike, riding around the Lincoln Square neighborhood on the north side of Chicago. So in this episode, you'll hear Liam's origin story, which is super fascinating, highly recommend. And then on a selfish note, I get into asking him all the questions that I've ever had about compost, because as you can see or hear, um, I am the proud owner of this very cute new bamboozle compost bin. You can't see this, but there are three banana peels in this, so I've basically saved the world already. Um, It's also got a cute little carbon filter in the lid, so I can't smell anything. I have no idea what's in here, it's locked. Um, But anyway, this is my first foray into composting, so I asked Liam for all of his tips, um, the biggest misconceptions and challenges that people face when composting, especially in an urban area like Chicago, where You know, I live in a condo building. I don't have a balcony. I don't have a backyard. This little guy has to stay in my house. And for so long, that has prevented me from thinking that I am capable of composting. And spoiler alert, I am not. I can do it just as easily as anyone in a single family home with their own backyard. So Liam sort of talks me through the ABCs of composting, best practices, tips for success, and some of the cool perks that the Waste Not members get for uh, using Waste Not as their like compost service pickup. Um, so you'll hear Liam chat through all that and it's a really fun interview. If you are in the Chicagoland area and you're interested in learning more about their services, you can go to their website. It's wastenotcompost.com. And I wanted to mention this at the top of the episode. Um, they are doing like a really good new client referral program right now. Uh, where new residential signups get a $22 credit for Earth Month. So that expires on April 30th. So I wanted to give you all a chance to check that out before 
the, the code goes away. So check out their website for more info. We'll have that in the show notes as well. And now let's get onto the episode. Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by sweatlife.com. I'm Kristen Guile, and today we're in our third week of our Earth Month dedicated list of episodes. So today we are talking to Liam Donnelly. He is the CEO and founder of Waste Not Compost, which is a compost service in Chicago that we're, I know at least Gina is a member, and I think I'm about to be a member too, because I recently purchased my very own, very cute, tiny compost bin. So Liam, I'll be asking you for tips of how to best utilize it. Um, But for those of you who don't know uh, Waste Not, they are the largest all-electric fleet in Illinois. And Liam is an alum of Loyola University Chicago's School of Environmental Sustainability. And he's been thinking about this idea for Waste Not Compost ever since he was a teenager. So we'll hear more about that here in just a second. But Liam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you too. Um, We've got a couple of members of our community who have glowingly raved about Waste Not Services and how easy y'all have made composting in an urban environment like Chicago. So before we get too far into the, the details of compost, I'd love to hear your origin story and how you thought of this idea. And I know it's been, you know, a years long process. So Walk us from when you first had the idea for Waste Not to what y'all are doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. So to be completely honest with you, uh, this idea was something that came to me uh, through the demand of others. It wasn't something that I set out to go and accomplish. I composting in my backyard. My parents were composting before I was born, uh, and I never really gave much thought to it. It was just another chore that my brothers and I did every week. Uh, At 14, I got a work permit to go work in a local cafe. Uh, They touted sustainability across the board, everything from local fair trade and organic to compostable cutleries and utensils, which is the first time I'd ever seen uh, compostable forks or knives in my life. Uh, But being lowest on the totem pole, one of my jobs was taking out the trash. And uh, every so often, our dumpster would get so filled that I would have to literally jump in there to pack it down. Uh, because if the dumpster has a two-inch gap from between the lid and the bin, the city would come by and give us a ticket. Uh, so during that time, I kind of realized something's not adding up here. Uh, we talk about sustainability so much here. We're talking about water usage, and we were talking about food. And I would listen to customers come in and complain all winter long that they couldn't get a cucumber or tomato on their breakfast sandwich. Uh, and I really started thinking about the waste that I was bringing. And part of it was selfish. You know, I was lugging 50 pounds, 70 pound trash bags, to the dumpster. And I was tired of doing that. Uh, little did I know the change that I was going to suggest would result in a whole lot more of that. Uh, <laughs> but I thought it'd be a smart idea to start taking coffee grounds home to my backyard pile. And I knew coffee ground, grounds were good for the compost pile I had. Uh, I thought it was going to be five gallons a shift. I only worked the weekends because that's all the state would allow me to work on a work permit. Uh, so I was thinking this would be something I do every Saturday and every Sunday and I live two blocks away. So I just walk with a five gallon mm-hmm. pail of coffee grounds. The manager kind of thought I was talking every day. Uh, and at 15, I wasn't really going to say no to my boss. Uh, wasn't really on my mindset right there. So of course I said yes. Uh, and fortunately I lived close enough to where I could do this before and after school. And then one day I walked in and he had bought a whole bunch more buckets. I think he had bought 16 more of these buckets. 
and they wanted to be doing all the coffee grounds, uh, which was a little bit more than I anticipated. But if, again, he's my boss. I'm not going to say no. Uh, so I started doing all the coffee grounds and I went from carrying a bucket to using a wagon and a dolly. And I would just walk up and down the street before or after school a couple times a week. And two months into that, a really cool thing happened. Uh, manager pulled me aside and he had realized I was doing more work composting than I was actually getting paid to work in the kitchen. Uh, and instead of telling me to stop, he offered to start paying me to do what I was already doing. Uh, and I thought that was it. You know, I was like, okay, I'll do this through high school. I think it was junior year or it had to be earlier than that. Uh, so it was probably pretty early in my high school career. And I was like, when I graduate high school, this will go to some other employee and they can figure out how to compost. Uh, but as I built this up one day, I, I came home and my mom had found this kid's bike trailer, uh, to help speed things up. And we took off all the fabric and we put some plywood onto it and all of a sudden it became this bike power compost collection service that i would do twice a week and just with that little bit of visibility other cafe owners in the neighborhood were coming in and asking for the compost kid uh at the time that really offended me uh you know 15 year old liam was not happy being called the compost kid i thought i was you know i had a name i thought it was more than that uh but these cafe owners they wanted to pay for a composting service too uh, and they convinced me to say yes to them. They hired me as an employee, which was really cool looking back on it. They were taking all the risk and all the liability. Uh, but I still thought this was you know, a high school hobby. Uh, there was no way I saw this growing the way it did. Uh, I thought this was going to be something that I graduated high school. I'd go away to school in California or New York or Washington, and that's it. I go on to something else. Uh, but then I had this increased exposure. My second cafe client ever, the owner also built custom bicycles. He knew I needed a better trailer. This little kid's trailer was breaking all the time. Uh, so he built me this custom bike trailer, the whole, uh, coffee grounds around five gallon buckets and it had advertising space on it. So I just, you know, threw a name on there and people started coming into the cafe I worked at and asking for home composting services. And I thought that was crazy. I grew up composting in my backyard. Yeah. It's e it was easy for us because it was something that was set up before I was born. Yeah. Uh, I, I shared it with my three brothers and I said no. Uh, I said no to at least 40 different people that wanted me to pick up from their homes. Uh, and and I didn't mean, even... What, sorry to interrupt, but where, where did you grow up? Like what, it was this an urban or like suburb or what was the neighborhood like? So I'm in Chicago proper. I grew up in Lincoln Square. Okay. Uh, so it's a north side neighborhood of Chicago. Uh, it's obviously not downtown, uh, but it's a lot more densely populated than mm -hmm. suburban uh, areas. But most people still have backyards. Uh, okay. they're, they're small backyards. You know, my backyard was probably 250 square feet. Uh, it wasn't that much room. I took over the entire thing with a composting pile. Uh, so to me, I thought it was normal that other people would be composting on their own. And I guess I was kind of uh, spoiled in the sense that I had a backyard and a lot of people don't. They live in condos or apartments. Uh, and there, there are people that have backyards and were just worried about the smell or they were worried about rodents or they didn't have the time. Uh, in my family's case, there's four boys. I have three brothers. And it was just a chore that they gave us. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was no work for my parents. Uh, Good outsourcing. Exactly. And I didn't think about those things at 15 years old. Uh, I just thought you can do this on your own. I don't think this makes sense. And at the time, 
Chicagoans didn't pay for trash service at all. Uh, today, we pay a $15 flat fee if we don't live in a multi-unit building, but there's mm-hmm. no way to get out of it. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you don't throw out a thing, you're paying that. Uh, I was familiar with the fact that restaurants and establishments, institutions were paying for dumpsters, paying to a private hauler. So in my mind, it was the only people willing to pay me would be people that were already paying for trash service to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that didn't turn out to be the case, uh, but I wasn't seeing it. Uh, I was kind of ignoring all the people coming up to me and asking. I thought, you know, again, I was thinking I'm going to graduate high school in a couple of years and this is going to be it. Uh, but in my senior year of high school, uh, a pretty neat thing happened where a classmate of mine, Lauren, uh, she had found out I was collecting. We were in an environmental science class together. She found out I was composting for some cafes. She was like, well, I want to do this at my house, too. And she lived in a condo. And I was like, nope, not happening. Uh, it's a commercial only service. That's the only way the business is going to grow. Uh, and she really pushed. She was like, well, she, I told her, I, you know, divulged to her that I was saying no to people. Uh, and she called me out on that. Uh, she called me kind of crazy for saying no to people that were already willing to pay me. Uh, and in 2015, as we were graduating high school, uh, she convinced me that it was worthwhile to launch a residential service. And I convinced her that if I was going to do that, I would need her on the marketing side, the creative Mm -hmm. side. There's very few creative bones in my body. Uh, So there was no way I felt confident launching the Facebook, the Instagram, the website. And Mm -hmm. she did all of that. She got us into our first farmer's market. Uh, That summer, I started with 12 total accounts at graduation. And by the end of that summer, we had over 350, uh, which was out of this world for me. Uh, That's That's high school graduation. Exactly. That's insane. I, you know, I was a pretty good kid, but I can't imagine being that responsible at age 18 to be handling a full-on business. That's amazing. Well, the next part of my journey kind of exposes that I wasn't that responsible. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I liked what I was doing. I've always been into business. Uh, You know, eight years old, I was giving my neighbors contracts for snow removal service. And part of like the, my big selling point was I'd have their snow cleared before 8 a.m. But that's when I started school. So I had to do that anyway. Uh, so I was waking up at 5 a.m. and clearing all my neighbor's snow. Uh, I like I like business. I like doing work. Uh, and I really love manual labor. Uh, but that summer changed things in the course of Waste Knots history. Or who, it was actually a business at that point. Uh, we had established ourselves. We had started to establish our brand. And then, uh, as planned, Lauren went to Indiana University Kelly School of Business that fall, and I was taking my gap year before going to Loyola. But Lauren kept growing this company remotely. Uh, She kept on the social media. I would send her photos. She updated the website a few times. She made sure I was doing some winter farmer's markets. And she thought I had a handle on the operations back home. But all I was doing, every new customer, every growth was just me saying, I'll bike longer, I'll bike harder, I'll work faster. Uh, So it got to this point where I was doing 14 to 16 hours of biking every day. Uh, And, you know, there were nights where days where I stayed up 48 hours or more. And I would just be working, uh, collecting buckets of food scraps, dumping them, washing them, prepping them for the next day. And it was terribly unhealthy for me, but I wasn't thinking about it. I was having fun. Uh, it was really cool to see. And then she came back from, uh, she came back on a break and realized what I was doing, realized I hadn't hired anybody. 
I wasn't planning on hiring anybody. Uh, and it was almost a full stop moment because she, there was no way I could continue doing it. And she saw that. And I was kind of ignoring those signs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent responsible. Uh, I was having fun. Uh, <laughs> it was cool to see things happening. And there came a point where we had to hire people. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, I, were you all like incorporated or had you like done the paperwork to become a business? Yeah. So we incorporated uh, that same year in 2015. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the first couple of years of the business were really me and just me collecting from cafes where they employed me as an employee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it was as we were graduating and Got it. Lauren said, it's time to go residential. Uh, I realized that this was becoming more of a business than it was just a hobby and extra yeah. thing for me. Uh, so that's when we incorporated. Uh, but that was as official as we got. We had a website, we had social media, and we had articles of incorporation. Uh, other than yeah. that, <laughs> it was flying by the seat of our pants. So was, we were seeing where demand took us. And uh, demand was crazy because yeah. it had to be ridiculous. I mean, there's videos of me on this bike trailer and I'm a five, six, a hundred and probably I was 115 pounds back then. Uh, so I'm this tiny kid and I've got this huge trailer. It's six feet long, 40 inches wide, filled with buckets. Uh, so anytime I'd hit a hill or a bridge, uh, it was just praying. (laughs) It was ridiculous. There were times where I'd be rolling backwards, but that was the brand. And I didn't realize that people were really like, they were starting to talk about this. Uh, because it was a little crazy. Mm-hmm. And, but then came the time where we had to hire people. There was, yeah. I couldn't do this on my own anymore. And at that next fall, I'd be going to school. That was always part of the plan. Yeah. Uh, how would I do this in school and uh, maintain the business? Yeah. But we, we had built this on bike. Uh, it was important to me back then because I didn't have a driver's license. Uh, I was 15. So I had to do it on bike. <laughs> Uh, but then it became this part of our identity where we're delivering a sustainable service. We should deliver it sustainably. Uh, we're composting food scraps. Does it really make sense to go out and buy a gas or diesel or internal combustion powered van and spew Mm -hmm. emissions? And I think it's important to listeners to understand I'm not a gardener. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kill most of the plants I grow, uh, (laughs) but I do care a lot about greenhouse gas emissions. It was something mm-hmm. I didn't know much about until high school. Uh, I lived my whole life composting, never really realizing the science behind it. And then I started learning about food waste in landfills and the fact that landfills are one of our nation's greatest emitters of methane. It's a greenhouse gas we don't think about very much, but the EPA says it's at least 25 times as harmful as carbon dioxide. The greenhouse gas we talk so much about uh, we're telling people to stop driving and start biking, start, start taking public transit, start walking. Uh, but those are huge lifestyle changes for most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started realizing pretty early on with this service that a small lifestyle change, you know, the fact that we can teach somebody to throw their food waste in a different colored bin is so much easier than convincing mm-hmm. them to stop driving mm-hmm. uh, would be a way that we could make really impactful change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, it was it was always about greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, maybe not day one. Day one, it was a cool thing. Yeah. Uh, seeing food waste turn into dirt. Uh, yeah. The moment I learned the science, so it became, I can reduce greenhouse gas emissions 
with such an easy change, yeah. uh, more people should be able to do it. Yeah. And that's wh- where we wanted to stay zero emissions. But we, we tried a lot of different things. We tried hiring cyclists. Uh, didn't matter how much I paid them because I forgot the fact that I started with three accounts and had grown into these routes where I was doing 80 or 100 stops a day. Uh, I had built up a lot of stamina. Most people that say they're avid cyclists have never hauled a couple hundred pounds on a trailer. Uh, so it was almost impossible to find people that would last. Okay. And then there was the, the insurance thing where we were trying to insure cyclists, which is most companies avoid. They hire cyclists as independent contractors. The cyclist brings their own bike, has yeah. their own bag, their messengers. Yeah. That's not our business. They're employees. We're providing a trailer. We're providing the yeah. bike. We're providing the routes. Yeah. Uh, and the only insurance you can get at that time was state uh, like state funded insurance, high risk category, which was crazy expensive. So it became pretty apparent that the cycling model was only going to last so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we needed to find a solution. And I wanted to be zero emissions. It was just about the time where Tesla was starting to pop up in the news and get bigger. And I knew the commercial electric vehicles were out there somewhere. It yeah. turns out there was only one option in the country at that time. And they were bought up entirely by major fleets. So okay. FedEx, UPS, Coca-Cola. Uh, so I, every night almost, I would go online, eBay, Facebook, anywhere. And I'd finally, I'd be searching up used electric fans. Uh, and there are so many ridiculous things, like total scams out there. Uh, and one day I came across one that looked a little bit more promising. And I combined my routes into a Saturday and a Monday. So I split my route into, at this point, I was doing seven days a week of biking. I took okay. a day off and I flew to California uh, for just one day to go see if this thing was real. And it was. I mean, the, the thing drove. The guy was nice. Uh, he let me drive I'm it. looking at pictures of the vans right now to, to get a visual of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so they cool. look really, they, they're very iconic looking. This is, it's so 2010 futuristic. Uh, like they thought they were in the future. Uh, but the fact that this thing was real and drove and uh i mean i came home and i was just trying to figure out how do i buy it how how do i get the money to buy this thing and transform the business uh and some of our family members gave me a loan it was really important to me but i tried to go to the bank uh Mm -hmm. the banks weren't so keen on a 19 year old coming in and asking for money for a business that had been established for a couple years uh they i mean that the first loan i tried to get uh was through a major banking institution. It was a grand total of eight thousand uh, dollars, and they responded, "Yeah, absolutely, we'll give it to you, but it's going to be eight percent interest, and we want a hundred percent cash collateral." I was like, "Wait a second! If I had a hundred percent cash collateral, why would I be coming to you for the loan?" Right. Uh, and it was like total, like it. Was, I was very scared back then. I was like, "How can I grow a business being this young?" And the banks don't take me seriously. On paper, our numbers were good. Our growth was solid. Uh, but it was just too risky for them. Yeah. And I got it. But fortunately, you know, I, it was important to me. I, it was loans and not gifts. I wanted to be a business. Uh, I had family that believed in me and they were willing to give me that loan. Uh, and that really changed the game. We took delivery in the middle of the winter uh, and it changed the course of our entire business. We were then uh the first 
all electric waste hauler in the country with a grand total of one electric van. Uh, and it was a very exciting time. It allowed us to hire, it allowed us to grow. And so now today, uh, we've grown into a fleet of over 30 all electric uh, collection vehicles. Uh, we have a team of well over 20 at this point, which is something I never envisioned. I didn't want to be a boss growing up. That was, I still don't want to be a boss. If I can find <laughs> someone else to do the boss in, awesome. Uh, but it's like that van became a billboard. It was even yeah. more iconic than the bike trailer. Yeah, uh, for sure. They, They're very well branded and wrapped, like really beautiful. And that took a lot of convincing from Lauren. I can't take credit for any of that. At the time, I think we spent either seven or $10,000 on branding. Uh, and I had to fight, or she had to fight tooth and nail with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To convince me that it was money well spent. Good job, Lauren. For, yeah. It's, most of the story of success uh, is my craziness being reeled in by Lauren. Uh, so I couldn't do it without her. You all seem like such a good team. And that's, I feel like that's so rare for, you know, people who just met in high school, you know, and, mm-hmm. and connected there. So that's, that's awesome to hear about. Um, let's get into a little bit about composting specifically. I'm going to, I'm going to look to you to be my composting counselor for the next 20 or so minutes as it is. Cause as I mentioned, I'm new to it. And I think a lot of our listeners have always been compost curious, but we have a lot of urban listeners, um, probably similar to your first customers who live in condos or apartment buildings and are sort of unsure of how to get started or why they should even consider this method. So let, let's start like big picture. What are some of the like most common misconceptions you see about composting or the obstacles that people claim to have as to why they can't compost? So I'll speak as it relates to the type of service that we operate the most, uh, because a lot of them, I'll start with the biggest misconception. Uh, and this is across the board and across the country. Uh, people think composting, they think dirty, they think rats, they think pests. Uh, and it's true. If done poorly, composting can lead to rodents. If you just start throwing food waste in your backyard and you have no rhyme or reason to how you do it. Yeah. You're just making a big pile of food and it's easier to get to that food pile than it is to trash can. Uh, but yeah, I'm not a rat guy. Uh, I can't do it. So if this business was that dirty, I wouldn't be doing it. And that's that's reassuring. (laughs) So that's the biggest misconception out there is if I start composting, I'm going to be inviting rats to my house. What most people don't realize, and this is everybody from a single family residence to the executive chefs that we work with. Uh, many of them forget that the food waste that you'll be composting is already in your waste stream. We're not adding anything to the waste stream. We're just adding a layer of separation. Uh, So it's as if you weren't recycling and you start recycling. All those recyclables are already in your trash. Mm -hmm. You're just putting them in a different colored bin. Mm -hmm. And that's all we're doing with food waste. And now, sure, you think about that and you're like, okay, there's still food waste. Scratch is still attracted to my food waste. Something that I realized from day one on the residential service was not everybody was like, I don't like that dirty, but I can deal with a little dirty. And there are many people that they want to do the right thing for sustainability, but there's no way they're getting dirty for it. Uh, So in that case, composting has to be cleaner than the conventional trash for it to be appealing. And many people still think today with these compost collection services throughout the country that they open up these buckets and they ask where the worms are. Uh, They think the composting is happening in that bucket. 
They don't realize that we're collecting the food scraps, bringing it back into a really big pile and composting it there. Yeah. Uh, so what, what we do every time we swap a bucket is we're dropping off a clean, empty one. It goes through an industrial sanitizer back at our facility. It's like a brand new bucket, essentially. Okay. Uh, so it ends up being cleaner than your trash. And we've managed to make it a little bit easier than recycling, too, yes. because we're yes. able to take all food waste. Yes. Uh, and this is a big misconception, too. People think composting. They think of backyard piles. Uh, it's one form of composting. In the backyard pile, it's essentially limited to your fruits, your vegetables, uh, your coffee grounds, and then your yard waste. Oh, and okay. So, so no pizza put, boxes or anything? Yeah, the pizza boxes take a long time to break down. You really got to rip them up in small, small containers or shards. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you put cooked waste in there, it takes a little bit longer to break down. And the longer stuff takes to break down, the more likely it is to attract rodents. Okay. Uh, and it's the same deal with meat scraps and dairy. Okay. Uh, that can really become a problem, become a nuisance if you put it in a backyard pile. Because of their size, their mass, they don't get quite as hot. Uh, and when they're not generating that heat, the material is breaking down a lot slower. Okay. On the industrial side of composting, we're able to collect all food waste. So meat scraps, bone, solid dairy, baked goods, cooked raw, uh, your salad with your salad dressing, your pizza boxes, uh, coffee, paper towels, commercially accepted compostables, which is the exciting thing today. You know, they're popping up all over the place. Uh, whether you're a fast food chain or your local cafe, most places are starting to switch these compostable packaging. They look like plastic. They feel like plastic, but they're made of corn. Uh, mm-hmm. And they will actually break down to the point that you can never tell that they were in your compost to begin with on the industrial side. So your options are, uh, they're expanded on the commercial side and it becomes a lot more thoughtless. Like you just, if it's food, if it grows, it goes. If it's on your plate, you can scrape it in. And the lesson is, can you keep glass, plastic, and metal out of the bin? And if the answer is yes, you're probably doing it right. There's yes. some edge cases in there. And you you all on your website, I'm seeing you have a, a composter. Nice nice yeah. little play on words. that um, sort of shows a visual breakdown of everything that can go in your waste not compost bins. And this is for individuals, it looks like. Yeah. That's correct. Nice. Okay. Um, so as a brand new owner of a tiny, cute compost bin, what should I be thinking about as I start this, this journey? Uh, any tips for beginners or any mistakes that you often see made that you haven't touched on already? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things that come to mind. Uh, and they, and I'm, in a, I'm in a condo, if that makes a difference. I have no backyard. I don't even have a balcony. This bin is under my sink. So that's just for what it's worth. You know, that makes a difference. Uh, we <laughs> recommend, so a big part of what we do is we try to make composting easy, but part of that is also on the user uh, or the participant. You know, it's we have so many people that worry about bringing a compost bin into their house and they want to keep it on their back porch or in their sunroom, somewhere out of the way, hidden in a closet. They want to open it as infrequently as possible because they think compost, they think gross. Uh, there's two major flaws with that. The first is if it's hidden away, you're more likely to keep throwing stuff in the trash. Uh, if it's not accessible, like I and a lot of my friends do the same thing where we keep our compost buckets prime in our kitchen. Uh, in fact, we just had our first member and I, we should get a photo of this up at some point. Uh, they were building out a custom kitchen and they had their contractors build a pullout drawer with a cutout for the bucket to fit in 
So it's just part of their everyday life. So part of that is getting it into your everyday life, seeing it, remembering it, getting in that habit. So the first two weeks, you actually realize that you're composting and you can break the habit of throwing all your food waste in the trash. But probably the more important aspect of these misconceptions, see how rarely can I open it question, uh, you're actually creating an environment that's more prone to smell. That makes sense. Yeah, the stinky bacteria is anaerobic. So without oxygen, keeping that bucket sealed, uh, you're going to have a smellier bucket. Yeah. The more often that you're opening and adding to it, the less likely your compost is to sink. Okay. Uh, So that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, There's other little tips and tricks, though, like wet waste. The wetter your waste, the more likely it is to create smell. And it's kind of the same deal. It's when you have wet waste, you're blocking pore space for oxygen. Without that oxygen, you got that same smelly bacteria. And what we recommend doing, if you have really wet compost, uh, because most food waste has a lot of water in it, Mm -hmm. you add in some form of brown, whether it's ripped up pizza boxes, whether it's newspaper. Oh, cool. uh, use napkins and paper towels, anything to absorb a little bit of that moisture goes a long way. Okay. And then the last step, and this is kind of the extreme case, uh, there are items that smell a lot more than others. Uh, Swiss chard is one example. Uh, Fish skin is another. And I've made the mistake myself. Day one of a fresh bucket, I have salmon. I throw that salmon skin in the empty bucket and I think nothing of it. Uh, I'm going to be regretting that decision in about three days. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> I only get my compost picked up every two weeks. Okay. Uh, so it's another 12 days of me waiting for that to be picked up. Yeah. Uh, and unless you produce, you know, I uh, drink coffee, I can cover that up with coffee grounds and cover up that smell a little bit, but it doesn't always work. So right. what we recommend doing is if you have a freezer space at all and you know that there's some items in there that are going to stink, uh, you have a little Tupperware container. You mm-hmm. throw it in your freezer, and then the day before you get your compost picked up, you dump that frozen stuff into your bucket. It's still oh, yeah. going to compost all the same. That's what I've done um, in the past with veggie scraps. You know, I went through a um, a phase where I felt like I was the pioneer woman, where I would save my veggie scraps in the freezer, and then I would make veggie broth um, once a month or so. So, yeah, of course, that would that would track that that carries over. It's a very similar concept. Absolutely. Nice. Um, what have been one of your like biggest surprises since starting Waste Not, whether it's like the demand for the services or the logistics of running a business, um, anything that you've heard from your customers? Tell, tell us what has made you do a double take. There have been so many surprises. Uh, you know, it's 10 years of my life that I've been doing this, which is hard to think about. Um, I'm 25 now and I started when I was 15 uh, that wasn't where my life was going. So this is all one big surprise to me, but there's <laughs> definitely little stuff along the way. Uh, one, you know, as I look out in the warehouse, I think about all these electric vehicles and it's really surprising how scared most mechanics are to work on electric vehicles still. Interesting. Uh, like simple things, brake jobs, yeah. rotations. Yeah. I've had guys ask me, is it going to electrocute me? Is it going to shock me? I'm like, no, that. It, would, it wouldn't be safe to put these on the road if you were going to yeah. get shot yeah. by doing a brake job on it. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, a frustration and a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, people are scared of it still. And until they become more prevalent, it's going to be difficult to work on them. Uh, the demand for the service, that surprised me from day one. I yeah. 
didn't foresee the growth that we had. And up until now, it really has been, how do we keep up with it? Uh, it's like demand has always outpaced where we were at up until very recently, uh, which is a fun way of doing business. It's very mm-hmm. fast paced, mm-hmm. uh, but it does get tiring. Like it's a, a constant yeah. marathon. It never ends. Yeah. Uh, so demand is crazy. The people that want to compost and the shift in the market. Back when I started, people would ask what composting was. Mm-hmm. They actually had no idea. Uh, then a couple years into it, People knew what it was, but they didn't think it was possible in the city. And they're like, how do you do Like, They were no longer asking what composting was. They were now asking, how do you do this in an an urban environment? How does it work? Mm -hmm. And now it's shifted again to they know what composting is. They want to do it. It's like, how do they sign up? How quick can they get started? It's not everybody, but those were not questions that were being asked 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, You had to sell this service to a lot of people. And now people know they want to do it. They're familiar with the concept. They know the reasoning behind it. Uh, it's going to be a whole other level of keeping up uh, with demand. Yeah. Uh, we're coming near the end of our time together. Um, and in case anyone has made it through this episode and they're still kind of on the fence about composting, what would you tell them is like some of the benefits that they'll get from it? What would you say to convince them to you know start it off and just give it a shot? All right. So one thing I never thought about growing up composting was the fact that we weren't taking out of trash very often. Uh, it was, I really thought this was normal because I was born doing it. And uh, I was part of my family that we weren't, t- I had three brothers, there's four boys in the house. We eat a lot of food. We go through <laughs> a lot and we weren't taking out our trash more than twice a week. Uh, I think the biggest realization that new members make in the first couple months of service is how rarely they end up taking out their trash, how much Mm. of their trash is food waste. It's about 30% of the municipal solid waste stream. uh, And that's by weight. So it's also the smelly stuff. And that's another reason people like to take out their trash is they want want it to not smell. So when you have a service that's swapping out your pail, washing it out, sanitizing it, you have less smelly trash, you have less filled trash. It makes it, drastic impact yeah. uh, on just your everyday life. And you don't even think about that going into it. Uh, if you're paying for trash service, it can do some wonders in reducing your conventional disposal fees. Uh, but it also makes you much more cognizant of how much you throw out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I feel really guilty now with the compost bucket when I forget I bought something and it goes from the fridge to the compost bucket yeah. instead of from my plate to the compost bucket. That's not something that I was thinking about trash. Yeah. Uh, it was just much easier for me to throw it in a bag, tie the bag and get it out. The reward of finished compost. So we got to give our members finished compost back every spring and fall. Oh, uh, cool. It looks looks like dirt, feels like dirt, smells like dirt, but it's so good for plants. I mean, it's packed with nutrients. The reward of seeing that transformation process is something I grew up with, but most people never see. Uh so that's a big, I mean, it's really exciting every spring and fall when we see first year members uh, really understanding what's happened to their food waste for the first time. And then if you're using a pickup service, the reduction in trips to the garbage can, especially reduction in trips to the alley is huge. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you're setting your bucket out typically on your front porch or your back porch. Uh, 
it's a lot less work than taking the trash to the alley or dealing with a dirty trash can. Yes. So those are all little perks and advantages most people don't think about. That's awesome. And I love the part about um, you share the the finished product with your members because like you, I am a plant killer. Um, I actually have an example here as a succulent that I am now actively killing somehow. It's hard, it's hard to say how, but I think it has to do with the fact that I'm pretty sure these rocks are like glued down to the soil and that seems that seems unhealthy. Um, Liam, you've been a great guest today. You've earned uh, a plug for yourself and for Waste Not, a minute of shameless self-promotion. So tell us about what you all have going on for Earth Month. I know you have a, a good um, sign-up credit going on right now. Tell us how we can find out more about your services and where you where you are in Chicagoland. Um, anything you want to go for right now is your time. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to find out more about Waste Not Compost is through our website which is simply wastenotcompost.com. But if you really want to become connected with the journey and see a lot of the fun stuff we're doing, that's our Instagram page. It's packed with all the exciting things we do, whether it's our new packaging design, compost in a compostable bag, uh, or whether it's our new trucks and our fleet expansion, or just a team journey. Uh, But really, checking out our website, following us on Instagram, which is, again, just wastenotcompost, those are the best ways to get excited about composting. This is something where we offer it risk-free to new signups. You can get right now a credit when you sign up, but you can typically, if you talk to us, we want you to try composting. We're confident you're going to fall in love with it. Uh, Once you start doing it, there really is no going back. Uh, It's that easy. That's all I got. I think think you nailed it. Um, And I'll just read straight from your website to the thing that you know, you're giving new residential signups a, a $22 credit um, through April 30th of this year, 2022. So by the time our listeners get this episode on the 20th, they'll have 10 days to, to fall in love. So we're very excited to share. Thank you, Liam, so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. This has been another episode of We Got Goals and a sweatlife.com production and another thing that is better with friends. Thanks to Ryan Deffitt for editing the audio and Ryan Barayuga for editing the video that you can find on YouTube. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, our title is hashtag we got goals. Yes, the hashtag. Make sure to rate and subscribe so that other people can find out about us and follow us on all social platforms at A Sweat Life.